All right, well, let's go to God's word as we're in week number four in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. What we're doing in this series is we're studying the six major events the Bible says is going to take place in the end times surrounding the second coming of Christ. Let me remind you once again what they are in chronological order. They are the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heavens and new earth. Now, last week, we began talking about the reason for the rapture. Why, why in the world would God take his church out of this world right before the second coming of Christ? I mean, I mean if, if Christ is coming back and the church is already here, why do they go and then come? Why? Well, it has to do with a seven-year period of time that will immediately precede Jesus' second coming called the tribulation, in which God is going to pour out his judgment on this earth for sin. This is talked about all throughout the Bible. In fact, I find it interesting as we're going through this series, a lot of people are like, I've never heard of this before. It is all throughout the Bible. And there are different ways that this seven-year tribulation is referred to when you read scripture. Let me share a few of those ways with you. Not an exhaustive list. In fact, I could spend a lot of time. There's a lot of different ways this is described in the Bible. But just let me give you a few. This is describing uh, this period, a seven-year period of tribulation that we're studying here in our series. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 calls it the time of trouble. The prophet Jeremiah says this, the time of Jacob's trouble, it calls the tribulation. That's another way of saying at the time of Israel's trouble. The prophet Isaiah called it the day of vengeance. The prophet Zephaniah called this tribulation period of time the day of desolation. You're going to see Jesus refer to it as that in our sermon today. First Thessalonians, it's called the day the wrath to come. And then you go to Revelation, and you see it mentioned by different titles. Revelation 3, the hour of trial. Revelation chapter 7, the great tribulation. Revelation chapter 14, the hour of judgment. And then in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, it's called the great day of the wrath of the Lamb of God. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. I want you to understand the tribulation is mentioned all throughout the Bible, and Jesus himself talks about it in Matthew chapter 24. It's called by Bible scholars the Olivet Discourse. The reason that is is because Jesus is talking about it as he's with his disciples sitting on the Mount of Olives. And you have to understand that this entire discourse was given in response to a question posed to Jesus by his disciples. You see, the disciples were expecting Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom any day now. They don't understand as of yet there's going to be a second coming. They won't understand that until after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so they're like little kids. Uh, how many of your kids, they know you're going somewhere, and they're like, when is it going to happen? When are we going to go? That's how they are with Jesus, because this entire week, since he rode in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, where they waved the palm branches, they're expecting him to set up his earthly kingdom. So they want to know, Jesus, we, we thought you'd do it by now, but it hasn't. When are you going to do this? So, so when are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? And how are we going to know the time has come? What sign should we be looking for that it's about to happen? 
Their question reads this way in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. It says this, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what's the first two words of verse 4? What does it say? Jesus answered. What Jesus does is he goes on to give seven signs that will take place immediately preceding him setting up his earthly kingdom in this world. And we looked at five of them last week. Let me go and review them quickly with you. Um, you can listen to last week's message. If you, if you missed it, go to our website or YouTube, Facebook. You can get caught up. But sign number one that we studied last week that Jesus says is going to happen right before his second coming is worldwide deception. Jesus says, many will come in my name. And you say, why is Jesus going to be so popular in the world all of a sudden, all over the world? Because something happened, and I would propose to you the rapture happened. And so there's going to become all these deceivers that are going to come, but there's going to be one main deceiver that's going to come, the Antichrist. We talked about that last week. Sign number two that Jesus said what happened was worldwide dissension. Remember, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. If you think wars are bad right now, it's going to explode on a whole new level in the seven-year tribulation. And so as bad as things are now, what Jesus is talking about here is what happens in the tribulation. And the idea is war is going to be everywhere throughout the world. Number three sign that Jesus said what happened is worldwide devastation. Remember, Jesus talked there's going to be famines and great earthquakes. There's going to be pestilences that are going to happen and, and diseases and fearful events and great signs in the heavens. In fact, we looked at what Revelation said about what Jesus is describing here. And when you, when you add up with the famines and the earthquakes and the pestilences and the great things that are going to happen in the heavens, the Bible says that one-fourth of the population in the first three and a half years of the tribulation are going to die. It's going to be a terrible time on earth. Sign number four, Jesus said what happened is worldwide defection many will turn away from the faith. So understand, although Christians are leaving this world before the tribulation, all of a sudden people are going to realize, I missed it. They were right. They turned to Jesus, but it's going to be hard to live for Jesus throughout the tribulation. Why? Because those people are going to be persecuted, not to mention things on earth are going to be so bad that a lot of people are going to curse God and turn away. So Jesus says, yeah, I'll be popular in the beginning. Everybody's going to be claiming to be me. But by the time you move through the tribulation, a lot of people are going to turn away, worldwide defection. The fifth sign that Jesus said that would happen right before his second coming is worldwide declaration. The gospel will be preached in the whole world. Now, in the age that you and I live in, the gospel is being preached all the time. We preach it every week. Churches like us preach it every week. But how many know, even though the gospel is being preached right now in this age, there are people in the world that are still not hearing it. There are still people in the world that don't know about Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen in the tribulation. God's going to give everybody in the tribulation. He's going to make sure everybody hears it all over the whole world. And how is he going to do that? We talked about it last week, the 144,000, the two witnesses, and God's even going to send angels to preach the gospel in the sky. So when you see those things happening, you know that the second coming is near. Now, that brings us to the sixth sign that Jesus talks about that will happen right before his second coming. This is the only one we're going to talk about today. Sign number six is, let's call this worldwide desolation. Worldwide desolation. You find it talked about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 through 28. Now let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 15. Jesus says this, So 
when you see standing in the holy place, now watch this phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. Spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, before we look at what Jesus has to say about the desolation, because he describes it, first we need to talk about what Jesus says causes the desolation. And notice once again, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, that's the Jewish temple, let the reader understand. You say, understand what? That my return is near. Understand there's great persecution getting ready to break out. We're going to see that in just a minute. You say, well, what, <coughs> what does it mean by abomination? Well, that word abomination speaks of something that is disgusting, repulsive, detestable, and completely abhorrent to God. When that word abomination is used all throughout the Bible, it refers often to acts of idolatry, vile, sinful practices, and idol worship. You see that abomination used for those things all throughout the Bible. So the question that we need to ask is, what is it that's going to happen that is so disgusting and so repulsive to God? What exactly is this abomination that ends up causing desolation? Well, Jesus doesn't leave it to our imagination. He tells us, notice, he says, it was spoken of through the prophet who? Daniel, Daniel you see that? So that's where we have to start. Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, I introduced you to this prophecy last week. We talked about it, but I want to take you back to it and dig just a little bit more of the history behind it for just a second, a little more context to this prophecy. When the prophet Daniel was just a teenager, the Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem and took many of the Jews captive and deported them to Babylon. And you say, well, why did God allow that? Because the people of Israel said, God, we don't need you. We'll do this on our own. And God said, okay, that's fine. How many know when you do that, that's not good, right? You turn yourself over to things. And so Daniel was deported, and Daniel was shown unbelievable favor by God. Uh, and he ended up serving several different foreign kings and empires over many decades. And when you come to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is now an old man. And after 70 years in captivity, the Jews were told, hey, you guys could go back to Israel, to the land of Israel, if you want. And 50,000 of them went back. But Daniel's very sad about that because hundreds of thousands of Jews chose to stay in Babylon. And so Daniel's heart is grieved about this, and he cries out to God and asks him, why is this? And God answers him by sending the angel Gabriel. This is the same one angel that announced to Mary that she would be with Jesus. He sends Gabriel and gives Daniel a prophecy concerning the nation of Israel and its future. It's this prophecy that Jesus is referring to back in Matthew chapter 24. Now let's read it again. And I went through this last week, so I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain some things I did last week. But understand, when you see the gray boxes with the white, that's not in the text. That's the interpretation for you, so to help you understand. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. So let's just go ahead and read this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 77, otherwise 490 years are decreed for your people, talking about the nation of Israel, and your holy city, talking about Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. 
Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So the Jews told, were told they could go back, but the decree had not been made yet that Jerusalem could be rebuilt. And, and, and the angel says that's going to happen, and you could see the fulfillment of that in Nehemiah chapter 2, because King Artaxerxes said that they could do that. So from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Now who's that? Jesus. Jesus. There will be 77s and 62 sevens. That's 483 years. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, talking about Jerusalem, but in times of trouble. And you see that in Nehemiah, right? They built the walls with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Yes. After the 62 sevens, for after those 483 years are complete, the anointed one, talking about Jesus, will be put to death. And we know he was what? Crucified and will have nothing. So do the math with me for just a second. 490 years for God's plan to be complete in him facilitating redemption through the nation of Israel. Well, 483 years have already been completed because that decree to rebuild Jerusalem and Jesus dying already happened. Well, that means there's a seven-year period of time left. That's what we're talking about the tribulation there. Okay? Now watch this. When we get to verse 26, now we're into the future here. Okay, in, in, into the future. This has not happened yet. It says the people of the ruler will come. We're talking about the Antichrist there. There's going to be a world ruler that's going to come. And he will, watch this, destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven or otherwise seven years. So this, this Antichrist is going to come in the name of peace. And watch this. In the middle of the seven, or three and a half years into the seven-year covenant, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up, and here it is, an abomination that causes desolation. Everybody see that? Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So get this, the Antichrist will set up an abomination in the Jewish temple that will cause desolation to be unleashed on this planet. And by the way, this is why the Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt again. You hear about it talked about. Israel already has a lot of things in motion. You say, why hasn't it been rebuilt? Because they're fighting over where that should be. Because right now there's a Muslim mosque where they want to put the, new, the third temple. A lot of Bible scholars believe that it's the Antichrist that's going to help broker this peace deal where the temple could be rebuilt. However that comes about, just know the, third, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt once again here in the end times. Now, the question is, what is the Antichrist going to do in the temple that is so repulsive to God? Well, let me take you to Daniel chapter 11 for a moment, because in it we find another abomination that caused desolation that Daniel prophesied that is actually a preview of the one that's going to happen at the end of times in the tribulation. So Daniel writes this in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 through 32, his armies his army forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the, here's the phrase again, abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Are you still with me? Are you still tracking? Okay. Listen close to me for a second. This prophecy here in Daniel chapter 11 is not about the Antichrist, but another ruler who would come after Daniel in Jewish history. His name would be Antiquus IV. 
And he ended up ruling over Israel from 175 B.C. until 165 B.C. And he fulfilled this prophecy here in Daniel 11 a couple of hundred years after Daniel was given it by the, prophet, by the angel Gabriel and almost 200 years before Jesus was actually sitting on the Mount of Olives having this discussion with his disciples. Here's what happened. Let me explain. True story. You can look at secular history. Antiquus, who went by the name of Theos Epiphanes, you say, what does that mean? He called himself Manifest God. He claimed to be deity. He claimed to be God. What he did is he overtook the Jewish people in 175 BC, and get this, he did it peacefully. He came in, they thought this guy was for them, he was going to protect them, he was kind of their savior at the moment, but he ends up turning on the Jewish people. And what he did is he came to the temple where he ended up sacrificing pigs on the altar in the Jewish temple. He forced the priest to eat the meat of those pigs and then proceeded to set up an altar to the Greek god Zeus right there in the Jewish temple. Okay, this is, this is, this is about uh, 173 BC. And then he went on to persecute the Jews as he slaughtered thousands of them and sold thousands more into slavery. Well, after about an eight-year period of time, the Jews were finally able to rise up and overthrow him and take back their temple and cleanse it from, from all the abomination that this guy had caused. But this was a terrible time in the Jewish history. And freedom from that incident was something that the Jews in Jesus' day remembered and celebrated every year with great pride. This is where Hanukkah came from. Okay, so when they took back the temple, they, they had an eight-day celebration. So that's why the candles are lit for eight days during Hanukkah. This is, this is where Hanukkah came from. True story. Here's why I tell you all that. When Jesus told his disciples about the abomination that causes desolation that's going to occur right before his second coming, these disciples' Jewish minds would have been instantly drawn to the abomination that caused desolation that had already occurred in their history. They would have known that instantly. And so what Jesus was telling them in Matthew 24 is another abomination that causes desolation is going to occur right before I come again and set up my earthly kingdom. That was a preview of what's to come. Jesus says that's the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter 9. So the question is, what is the Antichrist going to do in the temple that's going to cause desolation to come about? Well, we don't have to worry about the mystery of that because we already see the preview. And then Paul states it plainly for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me take you there. Watch this. Paul says, writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So there were all kind of false rumors. There were all kind of false letters coming in Paul's name that says, hey, the Lord's already come and you guys have missed him. They're worried they missed it. Paul says, no, 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 you haven't missed it. And here's one of the reasons why I know you haven't missed it. Watch this. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way for, the, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. 
the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. And so, and here it is, here's the abomination, he will set himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Now, with that in mind, back to Matthew chapter 24, remember what Jesus said. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, when you see the Antichrist there declaring himself to be God that was already prophesied through the prophet Daniel, oh, let the reader understand. Understand what? My return is near, and also they need to understand all hell is about to be unleashed. What Jesus does is he goes on in verses 16 through 28 now to describe the desolation that is going to be caused by this abomination. So let me, let me describe this desolation as we work through Jesus' words with three kind of two-word phrases, if you will. The first thing he says about this desolation is there's going to be rapid persecution. Rapid persecution. Look at verse 16, then... Let the reader understand, when you see this, if you, if you miss the rapture and you got saved in the tribulation and, and you're Jewish at this time in history, you need to let the, let, you got to understand what's about to happen. Watch this. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Judea is referring to Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. It's like saying, hey, those on the eastern shore better pay attention. So this is not just, this is, this is kind of around Jerusalem, right? Now, that word there, flee, is the Greek word fuego. Everybody say fuego. fuego. Okay? So it just rolls off the tongue, right? Say it one more time. Fuego. fuego. Okay? It's where we get our English word fugitive from. So let me help you understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, when the Antichrist declares himself to be God, sitting in the Jewish temple, then let the Jewish people who are in Israel understand they must run as quick as possible to the mountains because the Antichrist is coming after you swiftly to destroy you. You say, what, what, are you, what, are you, what is Jesus saying? The Antichrist is going to unleash a holocaust on the Jewish people like the world has never seen before. So understand, before, the first three and a half years, they think the Antichrist is their friend. They think he's going to protect them, they, and he's going to turn on them halfway through the seven-year tribulation, and he's going to unleash persecution to try to destroy them. So dire, so ruthless, so swift will that persecution be that Jesus goes on to say this in verse 17. Look at this. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. So when you see this happen, don't go, well, I'm going to go get my suitcase and I'm going to pack some things up. You don't have time to waste because it's going to, the persecution is going to be so swift. He goes on to say in verse 18, let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. You don't even have time to grab your coat. Oh, it's going to be cold. Don't go get it because you have, don't have time to waste. The persecution is going to be so swift. Look at verse 19, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. You say, well, what does that mean? Children, slow you down. All you moms said, amen. <laughs> Some of you moms like, my kids are going to kill me, literally, because you have to slow down to take care of all those. You don't 
have time to waste. It's going to be hard for the moms in those conditions in, with the, if they have young children to get where they need to go because the persecution is going to be so swift. It goes on in verse 20. Jesus says, pray that your flight will not take place in winter. Everything's slower in the winter or on the Sabbath because as a Jew, you're not supposed to travel or work on the Sabbath. Otherwise, you don't have any time to waste, which I want you to understand. And, and we have seen things like this throughout history. World War II, we saw a Holocaust where the Nazis tried to eliminate Jewish people by the millions. Do you understand that's, that's the preview in some ways of what's going to happen at the end of, end of time? It's, it's going to be the Holocaust on steroids, if, if, if it makes sense that way. You say, are, are you sure about this, Pastor? Yeah, it's all throughout the Bible. Let me take you to the prophets, and then I want to take you to Revelation to show you this. The prophet Jeremiah said this, verse, chapter 30, verse 4, these are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says, cries of fear are heard, terror not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? How awful the day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. That's a way of saying Israel. But he will be saved out of it. Otherwise, God's not going to let all of Israel be destroyed. The prophet Zechariah talked about it. Look at this. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, and one-third will be left in it. Only one-third of Jewish people on this planet will be left after the Antichrist goes after them in this period of time. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 says this. In that day, the remnant of Israel, only a remnant is going to be left after this persecution. The survivors of Jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them down. Remember one time they trusted the Antichrist? They thought the Antichrist was going to be their savior. But they found out, and they're going to find out who the real savior is. Look at this. But will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So actually, this persecution is going to be a great time of people of Jewish who did not believe in Jesus. They're going to turn to Jesus and be saved. Now, that's what the prophets had to say. I'm going to ask again. Are you still with me? Okay. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 12. We're doing a lot of reading this morning, but interesting passage of Scripture. And you have to understand, this is a unique passage of Scripture because it talks about Israel's history, and it, it goes from the past into the future. Everybody got that? Everybody say past. Past into the future. Okay, you got that in your mind now. Let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 12. I told you, you start in Matthew 24, everything else falls in line. Revelation all of a sudden opens up, the prophetic stuff opens up, and you go, oh my gosh, Jesus talked about this. Now watch this. Revelation 12, we're going to read the whole chapter. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars on her head, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, there's imagery there, but let me interpret it for you. The pregnant woman represents Israel. And the 12 stars on the crown, how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. We're talking about the nation of Israel. And notice, the woman was pregnant. Otherwise, the child to be born is Jesus, the Messiah. God promised the Messiah would come through the nation of Israel. Now watch verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and seven horns and seven crowns on its head. Its, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. You say, what is that? That's the devil. Okay? That's Satan. 
And by the way, when he rebelled, he took one-third of the angels and rebelled with him. That's where demons come from. They're fallen angels. Okay? So we're kind of going to the past, and then we're kind of going back to the past. And so, so this is Israel's history in, in a unique way. Now watch verse 3. It says that the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Well, that's, that's, that happened, didn't it? If you remember, the moment that Jesus was born into this world through the Virgin Mary, isn't it true the devil tried to destroy Jesus? Do you remember the angel had to come to Joseph and said, you've got to go to Egypt and flee because this madman Herod heard there's a king to be born. And what did Herod do? He had all the babies in that region killed because he was so paranoid about it. So Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt for a period of time until Herod died. Satan, understand what it's saying. Oh, it was Herod, but behind Herod there was a spirit. It was demonic, trying to eliminate Jesus from God. Now, look at verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Well, there have been people that have ruled nations with an iron scepter, but not all the nations. So who is that? Jesus, there's no doubt, right? And her child, watch this, was snatched up to God and to his throne. You say, well, when, did, when, did, when was Jesus snatched up to God? Well, after his death and resurrection, Acts chapter 1, right? You can read about it. These first five verses in Revelation 12 have already occurred. When you get to verse 6, now we are in the future, in the seven-year tribulation to be exact, and get this, three and a half years into the tribulation. Look at verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. You see that? To the place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. You say, what is that? It's three and a half years. You say, the math doesn't add up. Three and a half years to a Jewish calendar, which is 360 year, days a year is the Jewish calendar. So you do add that up, that's three and a half years. Just like Daniel predicted. Just, just, just like Jesus is saying, Matthew 24. So God is going to help supernaturally protect those who made it out for those three and a half years. And, and look what the Antichrist is going to try to do. I mean, look what the devil's going to try to do, uh, you know, through the Antichrist in those three and a half year period. Watch verse seven. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Once again, that's the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. How many know there's a spiritual war going on? There's a lot we don't understand, but we know it happens. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, this ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So now there's no doubt who the dragon is, who leads the whole world astray. You see that? He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed, talking about those who were saved, watch this. The, the, you know, this is, this is so, I love this verse. They triumphed over him, talking about the devil, yes. talking about God's people, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. What is that? Through faith in Jesus, yes. through his blood. That's what it means. Yes. Our faith in him through his blood is how we're saved. How many are thankful Amen. for that? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea. 
because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, watch this, he pursued the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He pursued the nation whom the Messiah came through. Verse 14. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she will be taken care of for, watch this, a time, that's one year, times, that's two more years and a half a time, that's three and a half years. Out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. So you know how you see on TV these floodwaters and how swift and how destructive they are? That's how the persecution is going to be at this period of time. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Uh-oh, we're not just talking about waging war against those around Jerusalem and Jewish people alone, but those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. You're talking about unbelievable persecution if you're Jewish and if you're a Christian. You say, I, okay, but why? Why? Why would the devil want to try to eliminate Israel? Well, the, the answer is, is because God has made promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. And if he can take away the nation of Israel and eliminate it, those promises can't be fulfilled. And the promise and the whole plan of salvation falls apart because that would mean God is a liar. Do you understand the devil has been trying to do this all throughout history? Yes. Do you understand World War II? That was demonic. It sure was. It's demonic. And can I just say this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that the, the Jewish nation is, is serving God as a whole, not because they are not, but people who want to eliminate the Jewish nation are demonically inspired. You need to understand that. It's always been that way. So when you get a politician up there and says, we need to get rid of Israel, you're going to know that Satan's behind them. Right. We're getting a little too political. I'm just telling you, biblical. <laughs> Rapid persecution. At a pace the world has never witnessed before. Demonically inspired persecution. I mean, it's always been demonically inspired, but it's going to be on a whole new level at this period of time. So rapid persecution. The second phrase I would use to describe the desolation that Jesus describes is severe calamity. Jesus said this in verse 21, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled Again, if, so let me, let me translate that for you. If you thought the events of the first half of the tribulation were bad, things are going to get even worse in the second half of the seven-year tribulation. In fact, it's often called the great tribulation because it, it, just, it, just, it, it just gets... Remember Jesus talked about labor? And he said the seven-year tribulation be like labor. And when a woman goes into labor, oh, there's a little bit of pain and then there's a gap of time. But as she gets closer to the baby, that boom, boom, boom. It, that's what Jesus is saying is going to happen in the tribulation. It's going to get much worse as you move throughout the seven and a half years. Now, Jesus doesn't describe all the events that will happen there, but the book of Revelation gives us some more insight to what it's going to be like. Now, in the book of Revelation, you might notice there are seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments, okay? Uh, 
And we went through all the seal judgments last week, except for the seventh, because the seventh one is now the beginning of the trumpets. And I'm not going to go through all these. You got homework. Go read it yourself, okay? But let me share with you some of the trumpet judgments to give you an idea about the unequal distress that the world will be experiencing at this period of time. Revelation chapter 9, verse 7, it says, it says the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to the earth. Now, what is that imagery describing? We don't know, but here's what happens as a result of whatever this is. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And watch this, a third of the sea turned into blood. I don't think that means literal blood, but it was like blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I, now, I can't be dogmatic about it. That sounds like an asteroid, doesn't it? it creates a tsunami. Ships are destroyed. A, a, a lot of sea life is, is lost. It says the, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. On a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. You say, what does that sound? That sounds like a comet of some sort. Remember, Jesus said there would be great signs in the heavens. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light. Just, it's like you're in Alaska all of a sudden. You know, in Alaska, they don't have daylight all year. It's like, what happened? And also a third of the night. You can read on about the other trumpets and the bull judgments on your own time. What I want you to understand is it will be a great time of distress like the world has never seen. So go back to Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22. It says, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world till now and never to be equaled again. Now watch this. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect or the saved, those days will be shortened. Now a lot of commentators speculate, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that, thank God, it's only three and a half years. That's one interpretation. I think it could also mean that God is speed, speeds up the days and the time. That's possible. I also think this could refer to that one trumpet judgment where the lights kind of went out for a third of the day because it's easier to hide when it's dark. Amen? So it's possible that that judgment also helps protect God's people at this period of time. You say, which one is it? I don't know. It's going to happen somehow, some way. Okay? So... Severe calamity on the earth. I didn't even read everything to you. I just don't have, I wanted to, but I don't have time. Let's talk about the last thing, concentrated evil. Concentrated evil. Jesus says in verse 23, back in Matthew 24, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, there is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect or even the saved. You say, wait a minute. How can these false prophets do miracles? Do you know the devil can do miracles? Say, so prove it to me in Scripture. 
Remember when Moses was in front of Pharaoh and Moses threw down his rod? And what did the magicians of Pharaoh do? The devil's capable of doing miracles. So I want you to understand, this is going to be a very demonic period of time on earth. Listen, the, 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 there's always demons doing things. In the, the, a lot. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities in this world. Even as Christians, we wrestle against those things. We can't see this war happening. But it's going to, it, it's going to explode. Demonic activity is going to be so much more in the forefront and, and obvious as we move towards the return of Christ. And in this period of time, it's going to explode on a whole new level. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 16. Watch this, verse 12. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So what is that? An army coming towards Jerusalem. It says that it would be, I'm not going to take you there, a 200 million man army from the east. Well, if you go east of Jerusalem, the only country I know with a 200 million man army is China. Now, it may not be China, it may be a coalition of other nations, but there's going to become a 200 million man army from the east, armies from all over the world are going to come towards Jerusalem to destroy it demonically inspired. Say, so how do you know that? Well, look at this. It says, then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You say, who's that? Well, the dragon's the devil. The, the beast is the Antichrist. And then the, and then the Antichrist is going to have this, this sidekick with him that's going to be like the world's going to love this person and they're going to think he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he's going to deceive the world. Do you understand it's the unholy trinity? How many know Satan always tries to counterfeit anything that God does? So you've got these impure spirits working through them, coming out of them. It says they are demonic spirits that perform signs. And they will, watch this, go to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Talking about the day that Jesus comes back. Now, back to Matthew 24. Let's bring this thing in for landing. Verse 25. See, Jesus says, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Don't believe that. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. You can, how can you know that it's not Jesus? Well, Jesus tells them how they can know when it's really him. Watch this. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What is Jesus saying? I'm coming in the sky. Yes. You'll know it's me. Because just as you can look up in the sky, I'm coming in the clouds. I'm coming in the sky. And notice the last thing that Jesus says. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Now, understand what, what this is saying. We live where there's uh, a lot of farmland, and we see this all the time. How many have ever seen the turkey buzzards of the vultures yeah. circling? When you see them circling, what do you know? <laughs> Something is dead or about to die and the vulture is about to come down and deal with it, right? Jesus is the vulture. He's coming in the clouds. And all the armies of the world are going to be there, ready to pounce 
on Israel and annihilate it once and for all. And as the lightning comes from the east and the west, the sky's going to split. Jesus is going to come. And oh, he's going to be circling over. And he's going to come down at the Battle of Armageddon and deal with it once and for all. And then he will set up his earthly king and say, really, what's going to happen? Come back next week. Jesus doesn't stop here in verse 28. He now goes on to describe what's going to happen on the very day that he comes back. A lot of times when we talk about the day of the Lord in the Bible, Old Testament prophecies, we're talking about that whole end times test period of time. But we're going to talk about the actual day. What's that going to be like? And just like we've saw through the last two weeks with the tribulation, the prophets confirm it and revelation confirms it. We're going to see the same thing next week as we're going to study what happens when Jesus comes back. And here's the good news. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're going to be on the winning side. It's going to be okay. You're not going to be here for that period of time. How many are thankful for that? I would say this, though. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you need, you need to get yourself ready. Because here's what I know. Jesus is coming back or you're going to die. One of the two. If your sins have not been forgiven, if you have not found the grace that God offers through Jesus, you're going to be in trouble when you stand before a holy God because none of your good works can make up for one of your sins, yet alone all your sins. But God in his love and his mercy sent Jesus to die for you because on the cross what you have is the love of God for you and the justice of God being poured out on Jesus to pay for your sins so that you could go free. God wants to give you his grace through Jesus and you can't earn it. It's something you receive. It's a free gift. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believeth, for, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Everlasting life. This is how you prepare for the end times. It's how you prepare for your eternity. And if you have Jesus right now in your life, aren't you thankful? I mean, there are Christians all in this room watching online. You're just like, oh, I'm so thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you have never put your faith in Jesus right where you are, would you just do that? Would you just go to the Lord, some of you at home today? Would you just call out to the Lord and say, God, I realize today that I am a sinner that falls short of your standard and I need you in my life to pay the price for my sin so that I could be made right with you. And so today I ask Jesus into my heart. I ask Jesus into my life. I ask him to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. That God, I may be spend all of eternity with you. Save me. Put my faith in you today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Christians, can we just stand all across this room? I think one of the appropriate things we can do as we end, can we just take a moment and say, oh, God, thank you for Jesus. Would you do that? Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you came and you died for us to make it possible that, that God's judgment would pass over us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you have a plan for us, that no matter what happens and no matter how fast this world is deteriorating, you have a plan. In the end, in, in, in the end, you win and we win because we're with you and because you are our God. So Lord, as we leave this place, may we leave here with just thankfulness in our hearts and in our minds for all that you've done for us on that cross. Lord, we give you praise and we give you thanks. And we all said together, amen. 
one more time. Are you still with me? I know it's a lot, right? It's a lot. But listen, next week, you do not want to miss next week. You're going to want to know exactly what happens the day Jesus comes back. God bless you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. If they, if you need prayer in any way, we will be up here ready to pray over you. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time, come see us. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you in your faith walk. But if you need